In March 1987, private investigator Daniel Morgan was murdered in the most horrific way imaginable when an axe was embedded in his head in a pub car park in south-east London. Despite five police inquiries, an inquest and a failed prosecution of three former prime suspects in 2011, no one has been convicted over the father of two's death. This week, an independent report into his murder accused the Metropolitan Police of being institutionally corrupt in the way it concealed or denied its failings over the unsolved murder. Current Met Chief Cressida Dick was among those singled out for criticism. On this episode of Beyond Reasonable Doubt for Mail Plus, I'm joined by Daniel's campaigning brother, Alistair Morgan, who's been fighting for justice for his brother for more than three decades. Your campaign for justice over Daniel's murder, the allegations of corruption, malpractice in the police, that campaign has lasted 34 years. I just wondered, in relation to the report which has come out this week, what was your reaction when you saw for yourself in print the findings of the independent panel? Well, I was... um relieved because I knew that what we were dealing what we had been dealing with was institutional corruption so to that extent I was uh, relieved and pleased I mean it's nothing to be joyful about to, to see the most important police force in your country accused of or found uh, guilty of institutional corruption but then if anything's going to be done about it, they have to face the truth. But did the the level of criticism surprise you, Alistair? Because, for instance, the head of the Metropolitan Police, Dame Cresta Dick, has been accused of basically blocking the release of key documents which were there to help the inquiry. These allegations or conclusions of, of a cover-up, of continuing cover-ups, of obfuscation... Uh, from the Metropolitan Police over your brother's case. Did those conclusions, the level of criticism, surprise you? Uh, <clears throat> to a certain extent. I mean, I was, I was aware that Cressida Dick had had a, a, a negative effect on the panel's inquiry because of uh, incidents that took place early on in the panel when uh, uh, the Commissioner had been in contact with the former judge who was then leading the inquiry and she had asked him, she had suggested to him that certain documents should only be seen by him and he had subsequently entered into correspondence with her on that uh, subject without informing the rest of the panel and this later emerged and uh, the the judge then resigned and that set back the panel probably the best part of a year and I was I was thinking back today and I thought well there was that and then there were then there were all the other uh, long delays and thinking that my mother 
who died in, well, th about three and a half years ago now, if there hadn't been these obstructions, she may well have lived to see the report. But she, as I said, she, she, she died. How important would it have been for your mum to have seen this report, which has been released this week? And how do you think she would have reacted, uh, Alistair? Well, she, it would have been immensely important to her because she would have felt that, or, that our struggle had been vindicated. So there is unlikely to be any justice in the traditional sense of the word for my brother's murder, but that in its, the, the, the report in itself would have been something very important to her. And she, she died three and a half years ago. And, and I mean, it's extraordinary, isn't it, um, that this inquiry uh, has taken eight years and it's probably end up costing uh, 20 million pounds or so. It's, it's extraordinary. And, and that's just really added to your, your burden, your family's burden, hasn't it really? Oh that... gosh, yeah, the length of time, of course. I mean, I can remember when I started out or we started out on this campaign for justice, which was when we received the report from the Hampshire inquiry, which we believed was a complete whitewash. And I can remember thinking then, we ha will have a struggle on our hands now. We'll be fighting against the might of the British state. And I anticipated at that time that it would... My goals at that time were to see that my brother's uh, murderers were in the dock and to expose the corruption that I had seen up to that point. And I anticipated, I suppose somewhat naively, this will probably take me 10 years, this. And of course, I, I didn't relish the uh, prospect of battling with the Metropolitan Police for 10 years, but I was determined at that point to do it. The panel inquiry report described the initial investigation into Daniel's murder as shockingly incompetent, with officers failing to search the scene which was left unguarded, pathetic forensic work, quote-unquote, and no alibis sought for suspects. I just wondered at, at what stage you realised back in the late 80s that this inquiry was shockingly bad. Well, I sensed almost as soon as I went into the incident room at Sydenham on the first occasion, I thought there's something not quite right here. I went, walked in and I said, I'm Alistair Morgan, I'm Daniel Morgan's brother. Can I speak to somebody in the incident room? And I was spoken to by a detective inspector whose first question to me was, what were you doing last night then? And I, I, in fact, I almost terminated the uh, interview there and then because I said, look, I'm not gonna, I, I, I don't like your tone. I've just walked in and my brother has just been brutally murdered and you're treating me like a suspect before I've even opened my mouth, you know, that, and that made me feel uncomfortable. Then I had a meeting with um, the following day with another two police officers, and then a couple of days after, or a day, I think it was probably the day after, my family had all descended on my sister-in-law's home, as you can imagine, and a phone call was received saying, uh, oh, Alistair's getting in the way of the inquiry, can you uh, get him tell him to go back to Hampshire. This was only days after the murder, and uh, I talked about certain suspicions that I had to the police, and then this call comes through. 
And then, a few weeks after that, there were arrests, police officers were arrested, and I don't want to go into detail for legal reasons at the moment, but then I just thought that there is something very, very wrong with this investigation. And it was a horrible, horrible feeling, you know. We, I just lost my brother. My family were in a complete state of shock. And then we were, as early as that, we were suspecting police involvement in the murder. But I knew that something had gone absolutely very badly wrong. And by the time the Hampshire report came, in, came out, a year later, where with, uh, oh, everything's hunky-dory, uh, everything's fine, you know, wonderful investigation, competent, blah, 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 whitewash. I knew it. I knew it was a whitewash because I'd told them certain things which they never bothered to investigate in Hampshire. The Hampshire police never bothered to investigate. Indeed, I was supposedly the, the complainant in this case because I'd written a letter to my MP about it and they didn't even, even take a statement from me. So I knew it was just so transparently crooked that I thought, no, you're not gonna, I'm not going to let you get away with this. And that was the start of this odyssey. It's just incredible because I've, I've dealt with many sort of uh, justice campaigns during my career. I mean, Stephen Lawrence being one sort of notable one. Um, but yours is 34 years. And I just wanted to ask you, how did you keep the energy going? How did you keep motivated to get to this stage? I recall seven years ago when we met, you talked about receiving death threats. You talked about having counselling and also you talked about the, the appalling suffering of your mum. He was 86 then. How did you keep going? Because it's a real David versus Goliath situation, yours. And you were, you were brushed off, as you say, repeatedly by the police and indeed by politicians. Yeah, I mean, the, I don't think the Home Office is, is free of any kind of blame here because it was just one provocation after another and I just felt I cannot, I don't care. In the end, I, I was thinking, I don't care how long it takes, I am not going to let you get away with this behaviour. So that was, I suppose it was anger, really, that was the main, you know, the motivating factor and the, a desire not to be made a fool of or lied to and treated uh, contemptuously by people, you know, uh, in, in, in high office. And that was, yeah, I mean, this was my brother, my family. You know, I don't like uh, things like that happening to my family and I, don't, I won't lie down when these kind of things happen. Because I, mean, I guess, I mean, if you hadn't kept going, this would have just drifted into, into nowhere, wouldn't it? If, it? if you were not around to insist on some sort of transparency and truthfulness, what would have happened? Nothing. Nothing, no. Daniel would have died, he would have had a terrible death, uh, and it would have just been, he would have been buried and forgotten. And I was determined not to let that happen. I mean, that's too high a price. It is. I mean, the report which has come out this week, 1,200 pages long. Uh, obviously, a hell of a lot of criticism of the Metropolitan Police going over decades. One mustn't forget, and I'm sure you, you don't forget it, that your brother was murdered in the most horrific circumstances. And I, I just thinking ahead of this podcast, whether the report this week is going to allow you to 
to move on. Will you be able to find some sort of closure and move on, which is very difficult, I think, for victims of crime if they haven't had full justice? It is difficult, but I have accepted now, uh, you know, realistically, that because of the mess that's been made here by the police, that I will never have what, what is traditionally uh, uh, called justice. But, as I said earlier, I wanted, I had two aims when I started uh, campaigning. One was to get the murderers in the dock, and the second was to expose the corruption. And when the first failed, and I've, I've accepted that now, I thought, well, I'm not going to fail on the second one. And, um, of course, the failure was not mine, but the Mets. It, it took a hell of a long time, as we can see, but I sort of got there in the end. Was it emotional when you were, when you were having your private briefing from Baroness Newler alone? Uh, was it emotional for you and your family? Uh, I was, well, I, emotional in the sense that we had no idea of their conclusion. So obviously there was quite a lot of tension, you know, when we went in and anticipation, some optimism because I thought, well, you know, I know what I know now and uh, what I've known, most of which I've known for many, many years. And uh, uh, I was, as I think I told you, I said I would be disappointed if they didn't find institutional corruption. And as it turned out, they did. So in that sense, there was great relief. But as I say, it's not a, it's not no kind of joyful uh, thing. You know, I mean, relief. I felt proud of what we'd done. But there's no real joy in, in a situation like that. But satisfaction, pride, a little bit of pride, you know, in what we'd achieved. And above all, relief. Mm. So you obviously welcomed that uh, conclusion of institutional corruption in the Met. I just wonder whether you blame individuals for that, and for legal reasons, probably wise not to, not to pick out particular people, or is it the system in the police, particularly the system in terms of this, the hierarchy? I think what we encountered was something that is... Unfortunately, I don't like how to say this, but it's unfortunately is typical of the Metropolitan Police or police, the police for the British police in general, uh, in that when they see that there's corruption, their their first instinct or default instinct is cover up. And I know this goes on. Daniel's case is not unique in that way. I know this goes on, and I think it is just symptomatic of the mentality of. The police, in particular, in this instance, the Metropolitan Police, and it's a cultural thing. It's to save their reputation, as Baroness O'Lone said yesterday. These moves are taken to protect their reputation, and they protect their reputation, in my experience, at virtually any cost. So what do you plan to do next, Alistair, if anything? From the outside, it would seem you and your family are entitled to uh, significant compensation from the Metropolitan Police. Is that a consideration? Somebody asked me this question earlier today and I thought, uh, and indeed people were already asking it at the press conference, and all I'm going to say at this moment is we are 
looking at all the options to obtain some kind of accountability. Uh, I think that's as far as I'm going to go at this moment. I mean, I suppose at the moment I feel emotionally exhausted, is what I can say. Relieved, but emotionally exhausted. And what I'd really like to do now is go on holiday, you know. That's not going to happen, but, I, you know, I, I need to... I need to take it easy a little bit, uh, absorb the contents of this huge report, discuss it with my lawyer, and then decide what kind of a accountability we require. So you're not ruling out uh, legal action, it would seem, but that's for another day. No, well, we, you know, we, we're looking at all the options. Yeah. yeah. I mean, at the press conference, you were asked about uh, Cresta Dick and whether she should resign. I mean, she has been you know, personally criticised in the report, uh, accused of putting hurdles in the way of of sensitive documents being released, of the truth coming out. I wonder if you've had time to reflect on that and what you think about her position. I mean, you, after all, are a member of the family, Daniel's family. My position is, look back at the leadership uh, throughout this uh, saga, I mean, none of the Met's uh, leadership has been, has measured up, if you like, in, in the intervening years, in my view. But, and, and what I'm looking for is a cultural change in the Met, ultimately. It has to be a big, deep-rooted, or root-and-branch cultural change in the police. And Cressida Dick is just one officer among many who have... Um, uh, served us ill. Should she resign as a matter of honour? Yeah, I would resign if I was in her shoes. What, why is that, uh, Alistair? Again, I have to be frank and fair. It's like a game of musical chairs and she's got caught with the, with the uh, short straw at the end of the day because, as I say, many of the others have, uh, in my view, have been equally bad. I mean, there's a whole host of senior officers who should have resigned over this and Cressida Dick is just one of them. You talked about this cultural issue in the in the force. Could you just elaborate on that? What what needs to be done there in a root and branch change? What would you like to see, particularly at the high level? Well, I mean, there has to be a culture of accountability in our police and that is absent at the moment. Uh, and it's a deep-rooted problem, I believe, in the Metropolitan Police. A deep-rooted problem. It's a culture of, of impunity at present. There's a part of me that would like to say I, w I would devote a lot of my time to trying to change this culture. Uh, and there's another part of me that wants to pack my bags and leave the country. You know, I'm, I feel divided. As I say, you know, I don't, I don't trust Britain. Since my brother's murder, I've never been comfortable in my own skin here in this country, and uh, it's a difficult feeling. But if, if I felt that I could add something to changing this culture, I think I would agree. If I genuinely thought I could have an effect, then I would do something. Do you respect the police? I mean, we talk about institutional corruption, but this is what has happened in this case for years and years and years there's been institutional corruption. 
And this is not something, I'm sure that it's not something that's restricted to Daniel's case only. This secret culture of secrecy, holding back information, misleading people. I mean, it happened, for example, it happened on a lar very large scale in the Hillsborough uh, inquiry. And I certainly, I want to make clear, you know, here and now, that I do not believe that there are millions of corrupt police officers in Britain, or, uh, you know, thousands and thousands of corrupt police officers. In. I believe that the majority of, the, of police officers do a very difficult job under difficult circumstances and that they do it honourably and they do their best and that they are decent human beings doing a difficult job. I do not, never, I would never dispute that. But there, there is a, this awful culture of when there is corruption, cover up and, and I think it's probably widely prevalent in the British police and that is something that needs to change. We need accountability. Finally, uh, Alistair, your brother Daniel lost his life in 1987 in the most horrific circumstances. What are your thoughts on him tonight after this report? What are your, you know, your memories of him and the fact that his life ended in the most horrific way? Well, I mean, Dan, you know, I loved my brother, as did all my family. And uh, it was a terrible, he's a terrible loss to us, you know, in particular. Well, to all of us, but in particular to his wife and children, you know, a tr terrible, tragic uh, event for them. I suppose, you know, when I, t I think of him, I, I remember his friendliness, his uh, sense of humour. Uh, he was just a nice guy, you know, a good, nice, decent man. And uh, it was a tragedy that he was taken from us. I would imagine he'd be proud of what you, in particular, have done for him. Yeah, I, I hope so. I'm sure he, well, I'm sure he would be. Your story is inspirational in terms of your determination to get to the truth in, in Daniel's case. Thank you for joining me, Alistair. Thank you, Stephen. You've been listening to Beyond Reasonable Doubt, a Mail Plus podcast with me, Stephen Wright. If you've enjoyed listening, please consider visiting mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and more.